a lot of times in church, a lot of times in church, we do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We do the same thing. We're all about, you know, we're all about God doing something in our life. We're all about God speaking to our hearts. We're all about being on a mission and saving souls and doing all the things. But as soon as someone says Holy Spirit, we start going, oh, I I don't like the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, you've been around the Holy Spirit this whole time. Holy Spirit's been working in your life this whole time. But because someone says the words Holy Spirit, all of a sudden we get nervous and we just cut everything else out and leave the icing in the fridge. And so what we want to do throughout this series is explain to to us and help us all understand together that the Holy Spirit has something for you. He wants to work in you and through you. The Bible says he has anointed you to do something. And so we want to make what the Holy Spirit does a part of everything that we do. Um, And it's just funny. We don't need to be like G2 and avoid the icing that we've always had because we hear the word cheese. Right? We don't want to do that. So today we're going to get started. We're going to look in Leviticus chapter 14. Yes, I said Leviticus. And... um, And I know we don't normally read out of Leviticus. I know most people, when they get to Leviticus in their Bible reading plan, they bump that speed up to two times fast, right? So it just kind of mows through it really quick. Um, Nobody does that? Okay, I'm embarrassed. Um, So let's talk about Leviticus for a second. Leviticus is a book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, the very first part of the Bible, first five books of the Bible. Leviticus is, is the place in the Bible where God gave all the rules for the Levites, Thus the name Leviticus, right? Levites were the priests at the time. So this is kind of like all the rules for the priests. This is what they need to be working on and doing and how they function. Um, and, and so in reading this, we're going to go through a couple of things. And, and I want to I point out some stuff to you that, that we're going to see salvation at work. We're going to see what it means to be born again at work in the book of Leviticus. This is really cool. So I was studying the other day and I came across this. Now, I know right off the bat, some of you guys are like, dude, I don't want to hear about Leviticus. I'm going to be super nerdy pastor today because I really love this kind of stuff. So Leviticus chapter 14, this is how you cleanse a leper. All right. So back in the day, if someone had any kind of skin disease, God gave them rules on how to cleanse that person. And, and here's the thing that's interesting. If we're going to start tracking Old Testament to New Testament, we understand that the physical things that happen in the Old Testament represent spiritual things that happen in the New Testament, right? We understand that. And, and so whenever we hear of someone being a leper, someone having a skin disease, a lot of times that in the New Testament, although they could still have skin diseases, but in the New Testament, sometimes we view that leprosy as sin on someone's life. And so whenever you start reading this, understand that. So here's what it says. Um, first of all, we're going to skip the very first part. We're going to start in verse 13. I'm skipping the part where it says that you have to take a bath and wash all your clothes. That would remind me a lot of water baptism, which we've got coming up on the 4th. I'm also skipping the part where it says shave your eyebrows. I don't want to do that at all. There is a part in there that says shave all the hair on your body, including your eyebrows. You know, if I shaved my eyebrows and my face, I would look like a thumb. I would just look like a thumb up here. It would be horrible. So we're not going to even talk about that today. But what I do want to get to is this part right here. Verse 13. And it says, and he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. 
For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. Now, right off the bat, killing a lamb, what does that represent to us as Christians today? That represents Jesus. The Bible says he is the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world. So in the Old Testament, if you want to get cleansed, what do you do? You kill a lamb. Right. And so they killed a lamb. And so then it says the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear. I forgot which one was on right my left on the lobe of the right ear of him who's to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Everybody say ears, ears. thumbs Thumb. and toes. If you're taking notes today, I couldn't come up with a better name for the message. So I just called it ears thumbs, and toes. So really quickly, let's just talk about that. I don't want to spend a whole ton of time on this part, but, but let's talk about that. The blood of the lamb is cleansing. We need to understand that today. We need to understand that today. The sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, is cleansing for us. Matthew twenty six twenty eight says, for this is my blood of the covenant, this is Jesus speaking, which is poured out for, for many um, for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, indeed, under the law, talking about the Old Testament, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So we need to understand something today. Our sins are forgiven not because we're good. Our sins are forgiven not because, um, because we, we act better. Our sins are forgiven because somebody paid a price for our sins to be forgiven. Blood was shed, and that blood was Jesus. He shed his blood for our sins to cover our sins. Now, I want to get into what does it mean? What does it mean for that blood to cover us? What does it mean for that blood to be on our ears, our thumbs, and our toes? I just think that's an odd thing to talk about. And as a matter of fact, the, the Bible says that they also did this to priests. I think that's kind of cool that, that they take a leper who's a nobody, who's, 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 who's sick, um, who is unclean, that everybody wants to avoid, and they begin to treat him like they would treat a priest. I think that's pretty neat. And so they put the blood on his ear. What does that represent? Well, if you look in John chapter 8, John chapter 8. I'm going to try to get through this part pretty quick. John chapter 8, uh, 43 through 47. It says, this is Jesus talking. And he's having this argument with these people. They, these, these guys just keep coming back at Jesus, trying to get him to prove something. And he says, why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. Can you imagine, like, like people get so offended uh, by preachers nowadays. Can you imagine if Jesus was your preacher? Nobody would be in church. Because like, you guys are of the devil. Y'all are all of the devil. Jesus is, I mean, he's tough. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. This is important. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character. Some versions say um, from his, uh, his, his own language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So, so what does the devil speak? Lies. lies. Thank you. The devil speaks lies. Remember that. Take that note down. The devil only speaks lies. The devil doesn't speak truth. He speaks. Uh, he's the father of lies. Verse 45. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Can I, can I tell you something? When we're not born again, when we're not Christians, when we're not followers of Christ, we've got a hearing problem. 
Because all we can hear is what the devil tells us. All we can hear is what Satan wants us to know. All we can hear is his lies. We hear lies about our identity. We hear lies about our self-worth. We, we hear lies uh, about our own salvation. We hear lies about fear. We hear lies about lust. We hear lies about hate. All we hear are the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy knows, and we'll get into this in a second, the enemy knows that however we think, Whatever it is we think, whatever it is we're consuming in our brains is what we're going to act like on the outside. And so whenever we're not born again, we don't hear God. We hear Satan. But I think it's pretty cool that the first thing that they put the blood on was the ear. Why? Because they said, you got to hear the right stuff. And Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Whenever we're born again, what does that blood cover? That blood doesn't just cover sins in general. That blood covers even our hearing that what I'm consuming is going to be from God and not the enemy. When that blood covers my sins, it filters out the lies of the enemy. And I don't have to listen to his lies anymore. Now I listen to the truth of Jesus Christ. The second thing that the blood covers is the thumb. Now, thumbs represent actions. And that's why I wanted to say that earlier, that whatever I'm thinking will determine how I act. Right? Whatever I'm thinking determines how I act. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. So in Genesis chapter 3, we, we read the story of Adam and Eve. And God told Adam and Eve, he said, there's one tree in the garden. Don't touch it. Don't eat the fruit. Right? He says, don't mess with that. So Eve, what does she do? Eve starts hanging around the tree. And that's what happens to us. That's how we get locked up in sin sometimes is we start hanging around the places that God's already told us not to hang around. Right. And so Eve is hanging around the tree and she shouldn't even be near it. If God says don't touch it, I wouldn't want to go near it. But that's what Eve did. And so she's hanging around the tree. The next thing we know is Satan in the form of a snake begins to talk to Eve. What's he doing? He's lying to her. He's speaking through her ears, right? He's lying to her about the fruit, trying to convince her of something. And so here's what the Bible says. It says in verse 6 of Genesis 3, the woman was convinced, right? In her mind, in her thoughts, she has listened to the lies of the enemy and she's become convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted or desired the wisdom it would give her, even though she knew she wasn't supposed to have it. And look at the next verse. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. What does it mean? It means the way I think determines the way I act. And listen, his blood doesn't want to just cover the way you think. His blood wants to cover the way you act too. His blood covers our sins. It covers our actions. And, and so in Matthew 3, 8, uh, John the Baptist said this. He said, prove, the way you live, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. In other words, his blood covers our hearing. His blood covers our hands, covers our actions. And then the third thing the blood covers is it covers our toes. Right. And, and that's kind of weird. And so um, so let's understand what that means. So so I, when I was doing my research on this, I actually looked up um, a Jewish website, not a Christian website. And because um, I knew what the Christian mindset would be on some of this stuff. So I thought, I'm going to see what the Jew, because it was originally written by Jews and for Jews. So I'm going to go ahead and read that first and see what that says. And, and one of the things they, they talk about, these, these old rabbis, they talk about is they talk about the toe represents the path of life that you're on. 
Because it's with the toe that you walk, right? So if, if the ear represents hearing the voice of God, um, uh, and, the, and the thumb represents your, your actions, then the toe represents where you go and, and, and where you walk. And so, so one of the things that it talks about is the direction that we're headed. The Bible even says this. Jesus talking about being born again. He talks about salvation. He, he likens it to a path. He says there is a way that leads to destruction, and it's very wide, and it's very easy to get to, and a lot of people are going to go down that way. He says, but there's another way that leads to life, and that way is very narrow, and it's very difficult, but those that find it will find life. And so, so he even talks about that. Jesus claims of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I didn't have that in my notes, but that was really good. I should have written that down. Listen, that totally works, right? The way, your toe, the way you walk, the truth, what you hear, the life, the way you act. Somebody better write that down because I need that. If I ever preach this again, that's going in there. That was really good. Thank you. Um, God, not, not you. You didn't do it. He did. So um, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's exactly what we're talking about here. That path of life. Look at what David said in Psalm 119, uh, 59. I think this is so funny and so good. He says, I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. David says, I've been looking at the way I've been living my life, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go with God, right? I turn to follow your ways. In Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, it says this, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. What are we talking about here? We're talking about repentance. Repentance means, um, and we say this all the time in our church, repentance should be a word that we use often, but repentance just means if I'm going this direction, I have a change of mind, and then I have a change of direction. I was going my way, and now I'm going God's way, right? And, and so, so we see that the blood covers the ears, the what we hear, the truth that we need. It covers our, our thumbs, our life, the way that we act and, and live, and it covers our toes, the path that we're on. Isn't that a cool little illustration of salvation? And you guys are like, yeah, but we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about Holy Spirit. You're right. So, so there's a question sometimes we have. And I was, I was, I, I've talked to people that have mentioned this before. I've, I've thought the same thing myself. Is salvation is obviously good, right? We all want to be saved. We all want to be born again. We all want to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go to hell. But, but what if there's more to life than just being saved. Like, what if there's more to life than just a narrow path? What if there's more to my born-again experience than, than, than just believing and just repenting? What if there's something else? Because Peter says this in Acts chapter 2. Peter says that you got to believe, you got to know that he is Lord and Messiah. He says you got to repent of your sins. And then he says, and you need to be water baptized. But then there's a, a fourth thing. He says, once you've done that, then, then you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what if there's a, a second act, right? What if there's a first act and then there's a second act? So, so throughout the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit doing things, um, especially in the book of Acts. We see people getting saved 
and um, sometimes immediately, and we'll talk in a few weeks about what does it mean to, the Bible uses the terms like baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Bible uses terms filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible uses the terms the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it uses a lot of terms, but and we'll talk about that on another week, but, but for now, something that I noticed is there are times like Peter preaches to Cornelius, his family, and as he's preaching the word, the Holy Spirit um, comes upon them, and, and they have a, a miraculous, awesome time. But then later on, we see in the book of Acts where, uh, where Paul confronts some guys and he says, hey, hey, you guys are Christians. And they're like, yeah, we're Christians. We've been baptized in water. And Paul says, Have you, um, do you know anything about the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, oh, well, let, let me teach you, right? There, there's a place in the Bible where, where the Bible says that um, some of the disciples were preaching salvation. And then they sent uh, Peter and, and John to go, or Peter and yeah, I think it's Peter and John or Peter and James. They sent Peter and somebody with the J name. They sent them to go talk to them about the Holy Spirit. So in other words, there, there was this understanding of the blood covering the ears, the thumbs, and the toes. But then there was something else that these guys were missing out on. And that's where I want to go today. So let's continue Leviticus chapter 14. Because this is where I got super nerdy. Check this out. So we read 13 and 14. Look at verses 15 through 17. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil. Now, I know right off the bat, that sounds funny. A log of oil, y'all are like, oil doesn't come in logs. Last time I checked. The log there just means a cup, basically. It's a little over a cup of oil. So the priest took basically a, uh, let, let's call it a cup and a half of oil. And, and the priest will take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. Verse 17 and some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him, uh, of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. Check this out. So now I've got blood on my ear, I've got blood on my thumb, I've got blood on my toe. And then the priest takes a cup of oil and he dips his finger in the oil, pours it in his hand, dips his finger in the oil, and he rubs the oil on top of the blood, on top of the blood, on top of the blood. Two different things are happening in this person's life as they're being cleansed. Now remember, everything that happens in the Old Testament physical translates to the New Testament spiritual. And we know blood represents Jesus. We also know that oil represents Holy Spirit. So, so the priest says, not only do you need blood to cleanse you, but you need oil to anoint you. Now check out what that does. Whenever he begins to anoint our ears, there's three things that the Holy Spirit does for us as far as our mindset is concerned. So yes, my, my hearing is cleansed. Now I hear the voice of God. But check these out. Three things the Holy Spirit does um, with the oil in the ear. The Holy Spirit renews, reminds, and reveals. He renews, He reminds, and He reveals. Ephesians 4.23 says, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. We'll get into the fruits of the Spirit a little bit this week. Uh, my dad will cover the fruits of the Spirit a lot next week. But, but look at what the Bible says the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to renew 
your mind. Listen, if you if you come down, let's say let's say we have a uh, one of those services you, you've seen. Like I went to like a Franklin Graham or Billy Graham crusade one time, and and I saw all the people come down to the front. I want to get saved. I want to be born again. Right? You see you see that happen. Here here's the problem: is statistically, according to Billy Graham's uh, the Billy Graham Association or Franklin Graham, whatever it's called nowadays, according to their statistics, they say that only about three percent of the people that come down to the altar end up still in church serving God a year later. 3%, that's not very good numbers. So what happens? I think a lot of times people get emotional, right? They hear a good message and they get emotional. Like, I'm going to respond. I'm going to go down. I'm going to change my life. And then they think they're going to change their life. But what they're missing out on is, yes, God forgave them. But what they're missing out on is they're missing out on the renewing of their mind by the Holy Spirit. So they still think the same way they used to think. They still have the same desires, the same lust, the same hate. They, they, they still have issues. My grandfather is a, is a great example. My, my grandfather wasn't um, always the best uh, to, to my dad in, in, in um, growing up. I never knew my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather was very much a racist, uh, did, did not like uh, people of other colors, other religions, um, uh, other countries. Like he was very much a racist. Went to church every Sunday, sat in the back every Sunday, did not have the love of God in his heart. And then one day, the preacher gets up and starts talking about the Holy Spirit. And my grandfather said, I got to have something more. I can't just have a prayer at the front of the altar. I got to have something different. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of his life. And absolutely changed him to the point that the next day, not, not 10 years later working through therapy with a counselor, the next day he was no longer racist. The next day he loved everybody. The next day his attitude towards my dad had changed. The next day his attitude towards his family had changed. The next day there was a dynamic shift in his mind and it changed the way his life was lived out. He died a few months later. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do when we allow him to renew our mind. The next thing it says is remind. So he renews. He also reminds John 14, 26 says this. But when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. As I was preaching, now, now you're like, Pastor, now don't get weird on us. You know, don't get weird. Don't be pulling out the snakes. Don't be getting the poison out. Look, I'm not into all that. I'm not weird. You guys know me. You guys know me. You, well, you know I'm weird, but in a different way altogether, right? But let me just explain how this works. So I'm preaching this message today. This literally just happened before you. You can look at my notes. There's nothing in there about I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So as I'm preaching this message, all of a sudden, I feel like I need to say, he was the way, the truth, and the life. Where did that come from? That was the Holy Spirit reminding me. You know me. I'm not smart enough to remember all that stuff. That was the Holy Spirit. What was he doing? He was reminding me of God's word in a timely manner that you might need, that I might need. He reminds me of God's word. It also says he reveals in, in 1 Corinthians 2.10, the Bible says it was, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Now, we'll talk about this more next week when, when my dad preaches. We'll talk about some of the things that God reveals to us. But the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit in the Old Testament. In Isaiah, I think, 11, it says the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of revelation. Hey, did I put that up there? 
Look at you, Kim. It's not even my notes. He, the, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of revelation. He can give us thoughts that we wouldn't normally have. He can give us wisdom that we wouldn't normally have. He can give us knowledge. He can give us understanding of things that we wouldn't normally have. Why? Because he, the oil, covers our ears. He can speak to us and change us. Amen? The second thing they put the oil on is they put the oil on the thumb. Not only does the Holy Spirit remind us and reveal things to us in our minds, but he also empowers our actions. The Bible says, uh, the Bible says in Acts chapter 3 that Peter and, and John, they go to pray at the church. And when they go to pray at the church, they come up and there's a guy there that is crippled and he's begging for money. And they walk up to this guy. And here's what the Bible says in verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the Bible goes on to say that he grabbed the man by the hand, with his hand, and he picked him up, and the guy could walk. He was miraculously healed. What does the Holy Spirit want to do? He wants to cover our ears so that he can reveal things to us, he can remind us of things, and he can renew us. But he also wants to empower our actions. And y'all are like, no, man, I don't know about that. Listen, we can't have the Bible without having all of the Bible. And I'm sorry if somebody taught you that you can cut pages out, but that ain't how it works. There are still miracles. Now, there's a teaching that miracles aren't for today. And, and if you and I want to get in a conversation about that, maybe we can talk about it in another, in another message. But that's not biblical. It's someone taking one verse and stretching it way too far. The fact is, miracles can still happen. I believe that God can still perform miracles. I believe that God wants to use us. He wants to empower our actions, but not just in the miraculous sense. He wants to empower our actions in the daily sense. Galatians 5.16 says this. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul's saying there are some actions that you need to be doing. There are some things that you need to be doing. Maybe to get someone saved, to, to, to show someone the love of Jesus Christ. There are some things that you need to be doing. But as long as we're listening to our flesh and not listening to the Spirit, we're not going to do those things because we're going to be in an internal battle. That's what he's saying. But he's talking about actions. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, verse 18, and you're, you are not under the law. Now the works, actions of the... I don't know why I keep doing this. The works of the flesh are evident. That makes the scripture not sound good. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Like that right there was just in church. That was just in church. We ain't talking about people at the bars on, on Saturday nights. We're talking about in church. Listen to this. Jealousy, anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let, let me just tell you something. Two things. For, for part of the room, when I talk about the gifts of the Spirit, there's part of the room that gets real hyped up. Yes, he's talking about the gifts. There's another part of the room, when I talk about the gifts of the Spirit, they get real quiet. No, he's talking about the gifts, right? Let me just say something. The gifts are in the Bible. We're going to talk about them. Next week, we're going to talk about them. But the gifts are useless without the fruits. If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit operating in your life, Paul says, I don't care what gift you have. All you're doing is making noise. You've got to have the fruit. You've got to have love. You've got to have joy. You've got to have peace. You've got to have self-discipline, self-control, right? These fruits are important to the gifts. They make the gifts impactful. Here's the other thing about the fruits that I think are important. What is a fruit? What do you do with the fruit? This isn't a trick question. What do you do with the fruit? You eat it, right? You eat a fruit. What happens if you don't eat the fruit? It rots. We unfortunately, every so often, have to throw food out. We have to throw fruit out, and we throw a lot of vegetables out, because I do not like vegetables. But we throw a lot of fruit out, and it makes me mad every time we throw fruit out, because I love fruit. I don't want to throw it out. But if you don't eat it, it rots. It just sits there, and it rots. Listen, fruit is meant to be consumed, right? Fruit is meant to be consumed. So what is the Holy Spirit producing in you? He's not just producing an attitude of love. He's producing tangible love through you. How can I show love to someone else? Because listen, these fruits of the Spirit, Ola, aren't just for me to eat. They're for me to share with other people. Remember the mission of the Holy Spirit we talked about last week? The mission is to go into the dark places. The mission is to, is to reap a harvest. The mission is not to make you great. The mission is to make His name known throughout the world. We sang a song today, and it says, Till it fills the earth. The whole point of that song is, we need to be filling the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be telling people about Him. We need to show them physical love. In a couple of weeks, Jay Clark's going to get up. He's going to talk to you guys about Sozo. We're going to have um, this, this group from Africa, an orphanage. They're going to come in, and they're going to sing, and they're going to do a concert here on a Wednesday night. First Wednesday night in September. Mark your calendars. You need to be here. First Wednesday night in September. Sozo Kids Choir is going to be here. Now listen. He's going to tell you some stories about how somebody decided to show physical, tangible love to a bunch of kids in Africa that didn't have nothing at all. Didn't have parents, didn't have a life, and they needed someone to show them. They didn't need someone just to have a loving attitude. They needed someone to show them. They needed the fruit of the Spirit. The last one is this. They put oil on the toe, and that just talks about the path of life. There's got to be something more than simply pursuing right living. The Holy Spirit has to put us on a mission. Some of you ask the question, you say, I, I, I feel like I'm saved. I've, I've, I'm born again. But, but now what? What's next for me? What's the next step? The next step is the Holy Spirit putting you on a mission. The next step is us getting in step with Him and following Him and, and allowing Him to use us. The Bible says in Acts 1.8, it says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. That word witness there in the Greek is the same word that they use for martyr. In other words, you're going to give your life 
for the gospel's sake. You're going to be willing to give everything up for the gospel's sake. Galatians 5.25, if we want to stay in that verse, it says this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That word keep in step in the Greek means cadence. It means to have the same cadence as someone else. I've got this rower at my house, like a, a rowing machine, right? And, and one of the things, you get on the rower and you, you start to pull and you, you start to row. And, and, um, and it's showing you your, your speed. It shows you your, your cadence, how, how many strokes per minute you're pulling and, and, and all this kind of stuff. All kinds of information. Well, there's a setting that I don't ever use um, because it's too hard, but there's a setting that you can put it on and it's, it's called boat mode, right? And, and so what it does is it gives you on the screen, it gives you this little, this little boat. I think it gives you two little boats and one little boat is you and one little boat is, is the simulation and you tell the simulation how fast you want it to go. You tell the simulation what kind of cadence you want it to hold, and that simulation takes off, and it starts moving. And then you're on the rower, and you start pulling, and you're trying to pull to keep up with the little simulated boat. And your goal is to keep your boat aligned with the little simulation boat. And maybe you're trying to get a PR. Maybe you're trying to, 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 to do something that you've never done before. So you set that simulation pretty difficult and then you try to keep up with it. When Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. He's saying you've got to keep up with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Listen, whenever I'm trying to follow the little boat, I'm working hard and I don't care what everything else is, what's happening all around me. The dog could be down there uh, panting and trying to lick me, and I don't care because I'm focused on that little boat. I'm trying to keep my cadence high, right? People could be down there talking to me, and music could be playing, and it doesn't matter what's going on in my garage because I'm trying to keep up with the little boat. And whenever we decide that, hey, it's not just enough for me to go down the narrow path and make it to heaven, but I want to try to take as many people as I can with me. I want to follow the mission of the Holy Spirit. I want to keep in step with him. Then we stop worrying about some of the little circumstances around us. And we get so focused on what God wants to do. And we stop worrying about, well, if the pastor talks about gifts and if he says anything about tongues or if he says anything about prophecy. And we stop worrying about all that stuff because we see the bigger mission in mind and the bigger mission is that God wants to save the world. He doesn't want trustful. He wants everybody. He doesn't want Americans. He doesn't want Christians. He wants Muslims. He wants Buddhists. He wants Hindus. He wants all of them. But it's up to us. We've got to be willing to get off of our comfy seats and do something about it. We got to be willing to have the oil and the blood on our ears and our thumbs, but then also on our toes. To say, I'm willing to follow you and keep in step with you. I'm going to just end right here. Leviticus chapter 14, the last thing. So my man, the priest, he's got this leper in front of him. He kills the sheep, kills the lamb, puts the blood on him. He takes a cup of oil, pours it on his hand, takes his finger puts oil on him. And he says, uh, I'm cleansing your, your hearing. I'm cleansing your actions. I'm cleansing your path. And he puts oil on and when he puts oil on, he, he, says, he says, now, 
Now I'm anointing your hearing. So now it's stepping up a level, right? I'm anointing your hearing. I'm anointing your actions. I'm anointing your path. To, to be anointed is what we're about to get into in just a second because this whole series is called Anointed. And then the Bible says that there's still some oil left in his hand. So the last thing he does is he, is he take. well, let's just read it. Verse 18. It says, And the rest of the oil that's in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is being cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The word anointed means to be sealed. It means to be marked. It means to be separated. The Bible, oftentimes Paul, Paul says this multiple times. Paul says that, that the Holy Spirit is a seal. It's a mark on your life. Can you imagine this morning if, if I were to have a handful of oil, right? And I would just dump it on your head. If I just took oil and just wiped it on your head, right? What would happen? Think about it, Terry. What would happen if I put oil on your head? What would your hair look like? Well, mine wouldn't change, but Terry's would just be like matted down. For me, it would just be running down my face. Right? There's nothing to stop it. Everybody that looked at me would immediately know something's going on with that guy. Everybody that looked at Terry, they'd be like, look, something, he's got oil all over his head. Look at that. Why? See, sometimes I think we feel like being a Christian means that we need to just kind of blend in with everybody else. Yeah, but pastor, it's my, it's my private, you know, faith. No, 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 no. The Bible never says you get to have private faith. You can have personal relationship, but not private. My faith is public. We got a couple of ladies going to get baptized in water in a, in a couple of weeks. Is that baptism going to save their souls? No, their belief, their repentance, that's what saves their souls. But that baptism, what does that mean? That baptism is their public they said, I've done the private stuff. I've done the internal. Now I'm going to show everybody what the external looks like. It's their public display. And listen, this is what the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit on our life marks us, seals us. That we are His. So when I say you're anointed today, I don't just mean you get goosebumps and you feel good. I mean, you are consecrated. You are set apart. You are different. You are not going to be like everybody else. In this church, our goal is not to be like every other church. It's not to be like every person in Trustful. Our goal is to be different in a good way. Luke 4, 18 and 19. I want you to stand up with me today. Let's go back through what does it mean to be anointed. You don't have to say this one right now, but just listen to me. As a matter of fact, i got some folks coming down to the front. They're going to be praying with us today. If you need prayer for anything, they want to pray with you today. About anything you got going on. Luke 4, 18 and 19 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Right? He has sealed me. He has placed His hand on me. He has anointed me. He has set me apart. He has consecrated me. He has made me different than everybody else. What has he anointed me to do? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room right now. We invite you into our hearts.
into our minds. God, today there may be people in this room that don't know you. Jesus, there may be people today that aren't serving you. They're not following you. They don't believe in you. God, maybe we haven't repented of our sins. Maybe we we don't follow you as Lord and Savior. but, But today is the day that we can choose that. Today is the day that your blood can cover every sin. Your blood can can cover every lie of the enemy. Your blood can cover every action I've taken. Your blood can cover every path I've been on that wasn't right. And today we can repent. We can change. We can turn to you. So if there's anyone in the room like that right now, I'm just praying for you that God's spirit would speak to your heart, that he would draw you. The Bible says that people come to me because they are drawn by God to me. And I believe today that God is drawing some people in. But there may be some of you out there today that as I'm preaching and as we're talking about this, that that God's spirit is moving on you to say, say, hey, there's more than just being born again. There's more than just living a good life, that there's something else. There's something more powerful. There's a mission that I want to send you out on. There's a life that I want you to change. And, And if that's you today, if that's you today, there's more from God for you today. There's more from God for you. God wants to do something big in your life. He wants to cover you with the blood, but he wants to cover you with the oil. So God, right now, I just pray for receptive hearts and minds. Help us to push past our old thinking and help us to to look at what your word says. That there's an anointing for my life. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to get goosebumps. What it means is I'm going to be marked for the rest of my life by the Spirit of God to change the world. That's what it means. So God, I just pray for hearts and lives right now that they would, we would be receptive for what you want to do in us. In Jesus' name. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing this song. And as we sing, if you need prayer for anything... I want you to slip out of your seat and come down. But maybe you say, Gabriel, I want to accept that, that anointing. I want to accept that calling. I want to accept that whatever it is God's doing in my heart. I want, I want more of what God's got for me. If there's anything else I can get, I want it. If that's you too, just step out of your seat. Maybe you're not serving Christ today. Maybe you're not a, a follower of Christ. Step out of your seat. Don't be afraid. Come down. Let us pray with you this morning for whatever you got going on. Go ahead, guys.